Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. Uh, we're just having a bit of a look in the letter uh, of Hebrews in the New Testament. We're in Hebrews 10. We did some last week and some this week that Ben will be sharing with us. I'll be reading from you uh, from verse 19 uh, for six verses or so. If you've got your Bible there or it's on the screen. Hebrews chapter 10, reading from verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus... By a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with, sin- with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Thanks, Ben. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Ben. If we haven't met, it's good to be here, and it's good to look at this passage again. Uh, so let's pray again for our time ahead of us, and then... We'll get into it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are uh, a God who is with us. Father, we pray that right now that you would help us to set aside the things that have been burdening us, the worries, the concerns, the weight of what's ahead. And we pray that in the next half an hour or so that you would give us ears to hear and a heart to understand. We pray that you would speak to us and meet us where we're at. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. How do you get through challenging times? You know, it's a big question we all want to think through. And this week, I, I was listening to a podcast that uh, gives some great advice on how to get through challenging times, and the podcast was on breathing. Okay, so, so basically what it was was two scientists looking at the impact of breathing and how breathing can help us get through life. Now, on the one hand, we all know that we've got to breathe to get through life, right? We understand that. But this was talking about the scientific impact of slow, intentional breathing. Now, I've got to be honest, the science was over my head, a lot of it. Uh, I barely got through grade 10 science, and that was the peak of my science input. But I was interested when they talked about the fact that they could monitor this when they did an experiment with rats. So they slowed down the breathing of rats, right? That, that's what they did in this experiment. They slowed, I don't know how they did it, but they did it, and then they could measure the impact of the rats who were breathing slower than the rats who weren't, and they saw that there was something going on there, right? That, that's about all that I've got. But the bottom line of this podcast I was listening to was this, to get through stressful moments, if you can somehow figure out how to do slow, intentional breathing in some format, that will help you through some things in life. That's what I got out of a two-hour podcast. Now, as you think about this idea, right, maybe, maybe you get into this, I don't know, and don't get me wrong, I want to say I will practice this, right, if a rat can do it, I can do it, 
I just want to say that, right? The level of, of, of my skills, I reckon, lies in what a rat can do. So I'm going to give it a go. But, but the thing is, you think about this idea of getting through challenging moments in life, breathing is attractive. This idea, it's free, it's anyone can do it, it's a tip and trick that we can all kind of do, but we're all aware that we need something a little bit more than just breathing to get through life, right? Every one of us are aware of that. To get through life's challenging moments, we're going to need something a little bit more. And so today, what we want to do is just think about this for a moment and reflect on this idea, how do we get through challenging moments in life? Now, we're going to do that as we look at this passage, because in this passage, there's a sense that the author is speaking about resilience and perseverance. So you get that through verse 23, where it says, let's hold on unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promises faithful. And then at the end there in verse 25, all the more as you see the day approaching, there's a sense here that the author wants longevity, wants resilience. And so we want to think about this. How do we do that? How do we have resilience? How do we get through life's challenging moments? Now, to point out very clearly, last week we looked at he who promised is faithful. Okay, so that was part one of this passage. If you missed it, go back and have a listen to the sermon last week because we reflected on the fact that God has done everything that we need to get to God. The finished work of Jesus is what gets us in, into this relationship with God and so we can draw near to him. Okay, we looked at that. That's last week. But this week, what we're going to see is this author puts to us the very fact that for us to get through challenging times in life, we need each other. That's what he's going to say. We actually need a church community to help us get through life's challenging times that we may hold on unswervingly. And so then we want to think about it. If, if we need each other, if that's what it's going to take, then what does it mean for us to do that? How is the church community going to help us through life's difficult times, life's challenges, life's up and downs. Well, this is what we're going to think about for a moment, okay? We're going to spend some time in this passage, and we're going to read it all again. But as we do this, as we read it all again, notice not just what God has done, but notice how He speaks about each other. Okay, so from verse 19, He says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us, through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So the author puts to us the fact that we need church community to get through challenging times. So what does that mean for us? What is the church community supposed to do for us to help us through challenging times? Well, in this passage, we're going to see four things today. And four things right throughout this passage. And the first is that we are family. Okay, so, so the truth is, the theological truth that we ground ourselves in is this. If you follow Jesus, you are in the family. So it's not like a family, we are family. And, and you can see that with this language right up front. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters. That's very intentional. This is not like slang, right? This is not ancient slang of like bro and sis or whatever, just because. No, this is real brothers and sisters. You get it again in verse 21, the house of God. That's family language. Right throughout this, it's not just me and my faith. 
It's us. Did you notice that? Like, I mean, last week we, we thought about how Jesus has done everything to get us to God. But I think as we think about this, we tend to often make it just about me and my faith with God. But the Bible speaks of our faith and how God has united us. You know, you get it right throughout there. You know, we have a high priest. Let us draw near. Let us hold on. Let us consider how we may do this. There's an us language right throughout this passage, and it's because of the truth. If you follow Jesus, you are family. If we follow Jesus, we are family. So if, if you look around this morning, this is your family. Right? I don't know if that scares you or excites you, but it's the truth of the Bible. We are family. And what that means is we have a deep bond that unites us. Right? A, a bond that unites us, that transcends personality types, that transcends location, that, that transcends interests, age, all of that sort of stuff. And the bond is this, if we follow Jesus, we are in the family. Now, we're going to think about some of these things uh, today, about what it means to be family. But it is just interesting to think about this. Because, you know, on a Sunday morning, there are people sitting around you that you would never, ever talk to outside of this community. Right? We know that, Right? But when we gather together, it's not just gathering over a common interest. We're gathered over a common bond, which is Jesus. And if we follow Jesus, we are family. So if we think about this idea the author puts to us, your church community is going to help you through life's challenges. It's because first and foremost, we are family. Okay, so that's the first thing we see in this passage. What's the second thing we see in this passage? Well, the second thing is we need commitment. Now, we see this as we read there. Uh, in verse 25, when he says, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Now that's on the back of verse 24, let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds. And we'll think about that in a moment, but logically, verse 25, commitment comes before connection. Okay, so that's why we're talking about commitment before connection. It's because if you're not committed, if, you're, if you don't turn up, you can't do the thing that comes before it. Right? Like you can't encourage one another, you can't draw near to each other, you can't consider how to spur one another on if you never see each other. So this is why we're talking about commitment first and foremost. And, and the truth is here, we need commitment. Now in this passage, there's so much good in this passage, right? I think we've reflected on that last week, even this morning, you get a sense of that as well. This one line here is the only kind of negative line in this passage, so the rest of it, you know, print it out, put it on your coffee cup or whatever. It's great. This one is a little bit of a rebuke. It's the challenge for us. It's to warn us here. And he says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Now, it does make me think what the habit was in the ancient world. You know, what, like, did, did they just get stuck feeding their cattle or milking their cows on a Sunday morning? Is that what, I don't know, what, that's just how I think of the ancient world. It doesn't really matter what habits they were getting into. The habits have still been the same right throughout the last 2,000 years. And even today, the habits are still here that we can get in the habit of not meeting up. Now, it's, it, the language of habit is curious, isn't it? Like, it's, it's kind of fascinating language because you can get into the habit of not meeting up. So, so one Sunday, it could be that you're sick. The next Sunday, it could be that you're away. The next Sunday could be something else. And then all of a sudden, you've missed a month of, of gathering together. And you didn't see it coming. It wasn't intentional, but the habit was just formed through a series of small decisions. Now, now why is this a challenge for us? Well, he says, as some are in the habit of doing, but, but first, before that, let us not give up meeting together. Now, not giving up is kind of tame in the NIV, but the word for giving up there is literally this idea of neglect. 
Now, that's a little bit more powerful, this idea of neglect, especially since we've just talked about the fact that we are family. So if you can connect the two things, neglect and family, the impact of that is usually pretty brutal. You know, like many of us might know that firsthand, but if you think about it, where do you hear neglect and family? It's usually in those, well, the thing that comes to my mind is in those news stories where a parent stopped feeding their children. And the consequences are pretty dire, and they go on trial for neglect. Now, you think about the the parent in that situation not feeding their children. You know, like, uh, there's often lots of reasons for for, to, to end up in that position where you're not feeding your children. Mental health, all that sort of stuff. But if you think about it, it doesn't really matter why you didn't feed your children. So if it's mental health, or if, and I don't know if this has ever happened, but if the habit was just formed, you know, you just, you just went to work a bit earlier, and then instead of going home to feed your kids, you started playing sport at night, and you just did that every day. It doesn't really matter which reason led you to not feeding your kids, the impact is the same. The impact is you don't feed your kids, and our law says that's neglect. Now, this is the language that the author wants us to feel, the weight of here. When we don't turn up, it's not just not turning up, it's neglect. And we kind of got to feel the weight of that, because he's speaking of the weight and responsibility of family. These are not just like strangers here. No, this is family, and we have a a responsibility to care for our family, to be with our family. And so we've got to feel the weight of this, the power of this, the responsibility of this. And if we're thinking about not turning up, perhaps we've got to ask ourselves and remind ourselves of the weight and responsibility of what we have here. This This is a rebuke. This is a challenge. We are to feel the weight of this. But of course, it's not just... There is a problem if we don't turn up, but of course, if there's a problem of a lack of commitment, the opposite is true. There is something that happens when we do turn up for each other. So it's not just not turning up is neglect. When we do turn up, something happens. Now, this idea again in family, I think, is is powerful. So again, if if we can just think about this for a moment. Uh, I remember when I became... A dad. I was listening to a, a random podcast where I heard this line of, it was, I just want to say it was a cricket podcast, so it wasn't actually, like this is not, I'm not banking this as truth, but he said this line that 90% of being a dad is showing up. Now, I don't know how that sits with you. Um, that's why I said it's a cricket podcast. They're not experts in parenting, but something about that, something about that, it was memorable to hear that, and there's something to that. So, even if it's not fully true, the idea that there is power in just showing up, right? So even if that's half true or a third true or, you know, 10% true, what it's speaking of this idea is there's power in your presence, in just showing up. Now, that has been my experience in being a parent. Sometimes you're not feeling it, right? And, And just showing up helps in that moment. But I also think that's true for our experience of church, Like, I can't tell you the amount of times I've been personally encouraged just by seeing people show up. Now, you you might know this experience too. I reckon our growth group leaders know this. You know, every week, growth group leaders have to be at growth group. You don't know how encouraging it is to get that message saying, I'll be there, and then you're actually there. 
Right? You might think it's nothing just showing up. No, there's power in your presence. If you think about it for team leaders, if teams are trying to train their people or encourage their people and then you actually message saying you'll be there and then you do, there's power in your presence. But of course, it's not just in our structured moments uh, uh, you know, that we have throughout the week. It's here on a Sunday morning as well. Rather than if you've felt this before, but those moments where you're tired and exhausted and you turn up and you see people around you, like, I've been so encouraged just by seeing people turn up on a Sunday. You know, like, and, and, and to give you specifics for this, right? Like, if you're, a youth, if you're a youth, if you're a teenager, your presence here on a Sunday morning has an impact on people around you, right? Like, you don't get this yet, but people older than you are encouraged by you just being here because we get what it's like being a teenager. And it's encouraging for us just seeing you here. If you're a young adult, like, again, you might not get this either, but your presence is powerful for the people around you. Like, we understand the life of a young adult. It's, it's this weird life as you've got to figure out your responsibilities and uni and work and all that sort of stuff. And we know 9 a.m. is early for a young adult. We get that. To see you on a Sunday morning, it's encouraging. And you have no idea the encouragement it is to a youth to see a young adult here. If you're a parent, you know, like particularly those early years of parenthood, right, where you, you know, there are mums and dads here on Sundays who, who come to church and they don't get any part of the sermon. You know, maybe you've got to feed your kid during the sermon. Maybe you've got to sit in creche to help your kid get through creche. You have no idea the encouragement that it gives the rest of us just to see you here on a, on a Sunday morning. Maybe that's not your experience. Maybe, you, you know, you're a bit later in life or a bit different in life. Maybe you're just exhausted and tired and lonely, and anxious, and it's hard just to get here. Your presence is powerful. We feel that. Your church community feels that. Or maybe, you know, you're, you're elderly. Maybe you're older in life. You know, maybe you think you have not much to offer, but I'm telling you, your consistency at church spurs us along to see what it looks like to keep going in the faith. We undersell the power of presence. But just showing up does something. Now, you, you feel the weight of this then. So we need commitment. Not showing up is neglect, but showing up, there's power in your presence. So as we think about the church community being the thing that's meant to help us through life's up and downs, we see why. Firstly, we're family. Secondly, we need commitment. Thirdly, we pursue connection. Now, you see this in this passage. We're, we're using this connection word to kind of catch what it says in verse 24 when it says, uh, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And then uh, verse 25, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. It's kind of this idea of pursuing connection. Now, I understand connection is one of those jargon words that we all know we need but sometimes it's a bit confusing to know exactly what it means or what it looks like. Uh, you know, we, we've been through this COVID season where we were told, you know, isolation is going to be hard. We need connection. This is difficult. Look out for each other. We come out of that. We all know we need connection, but it's challenging to know exactly what that is and what that looks like in a church community. So, so let's think about this for a moment. Now, the first thing to recognize when it comes to pursuing connection is that we are connected. Okay, that's the first thing we've got to recognize here. We actually are connected. We are family. Because of Jesus, we are connected. So the, the theological truth is there. We are connected. But how do we understand feeling connected? Because some of us might know that we are connected, but we don't feel connected. Some of us might feel disconnected. 
So how do we kind of reconcile pursuing connection, feeling connection, and all of that sort of stuff? Well, let's, let's take a detour for a moment and think about how our culture thinks about feelings in relationships. Now, if you know me, I just want to say up front, you know that I value feelings, okay? You, you might have felt that in certain parts of my life. So I just want to say that, okay, up front. Feelings are important and they do matter. But culturally, how we understand relationships, there's an interesting movement over the last like 50, 100 years where how I feel trumps anything else. Now, this is a problem in relationships because if you see it in our movies and, and TV shows or whatever, the feeling of love is the most important thing. Now, if you watched any Christmas movies, you know, over the last month, you would have seen this because it's all about feeling in love with a person. If you feel in love with a person, they're the one, but you can fall out of love with someone. And if you fall out of love, then you've got to find another one. And, you know, the holiday rom-coms are all about who do I feel most in love with and can by, you know, an hour and a half, can we solve that in some format? Feeling, the feeling of love trumps everything. And so then culturally, I mean, culturally, my feelings matter more than anything else. So that is like kind of the cultural point that we're at at the moment. But the feeling of love in a relationship is the most important thing. And so we go on this search of trying to find the person that we feel most in love with. And if we don't feel the love anymore, then they're not the one. And we've got to find the one that we feel most in love with. Okay, that's, that's how we understand relationships and the feeling of love. But there is a problem with that. The problem with that is, I think, like, biblically, you could argue that love is not first a feeling. In the Bible, love is a decision, first and foremost. But you actually also see this through marriage books. If you've ever read, uh, you know, these marriage books, they often speak about this reality, that what's first is love is first a verb, a decision, and then the feelings follow. Now, Tim Keller, who is a pastor in America and a great author, has written a book called The Meaning of Marriage. And if you're interested in reading books on marriage, this is one that's worth reading. But he has a quote speaking about this idea of how we understand the feelings versus the actions. Okay, so here's his quote. He says this, In any relationship, there will be frightening spells in which your feeling of love dry up. And when that happens, you must remember that the essence of marriage is that it is a covenant, a commitment, a promise of future love. So what do you do? When you feel those dry spells, what do you do? You do the acts of love. Despite your lack of feeling, you may not feel tender or sympathetic. You, you may not feel eager to please. But in your actions, in your actions, you must be tender understanding, forgiving, and helpful. And if you do that, as time goes on, you will not only get through the dry spells, but they will become less frequent and deep. And you will become more consistent, more constant in your feelings. This is what can happen if you decide to love. Now, what's he saying in this moment? He's saying, and it, it is in the context of marriage, but we'll get to what it means for other relationships. He's saying, if you don't feel love, decide to love, and the feelings will follow. Now, in our marriage with my wife, Elizabeth, this has rung true for, for us in how I think about things. In fact, uh, uh, I've thought about, I don't, I'm not always quick to get to this point, but if I'm feeling disconnected, then instead of going, okay, well, I'm feeling disconnected, so I'm going to give up on our marriage. I know I talked about this last week. 
we got the status of marriage, right? That's what I spoke about last week. So eight years ago, we got married. And so for me, even if I'm feeling disconnected, it's like, well, I'm married, okay? So I got that status. So I don't think I'm feeling disconnected and so I'm going to give up. But rather, I think I'm feeling disconnected. So because of what Keller says here, instead of distancing myself, I'm going to pursue depth. I'm going to pursue love. And so if I can remember, now I'm not always perfect in this, but I might write her a card or buy her some flowers or a chocolate or whatever, something small, something easy, but pursue that connection. Now I can say with full sincerity that if I pursue that, the feelings follow in the days to come. Disconnectedness is transformed by the decision to actually act on that. Now, that is, that's, that's in marriage and our understanding of culture. What's that got to do with church? Well, I think that this is actually true in any relationship, and particularly when we're thinking about our church relationships, right? We are family. That's the truth that undermines all of this. We are family. So how do we understand this idea of being connected and feeling connected? Well, if Keller is true, and I think he is, the feeling of connection follows the pursuit of connection. Okay, so when we think about this, now, when we think about this in relation to what I'm feeling, I just want to say this might not be the reason you don't feel connected, okay? Just to caveat that. But it's possible that you don't feel connected because you've stopped pursuing connection. It's possible. In fact, if you think about it, first and foremost, you can't feel connected if you're not committed. That's just true. If you're not showing up, you won't feel connected. But it might be that you've stopped pursuing connection in other areas. You know, you might not be committed, but you might have also stopped pursuing connection. You might, you know, once upon a time in our church community, hospitality was a big thing. But we had COVID, and I know that's a big thing. We isolated, and then we, then we were able to have people over in our homes, and it felt weird. But it's possible we don't feel connection because we're not pursuing hospitality anymore. You know, maybe we don't, we don't have meals as we used to. It's possible that we're not as committed to our growth groups anymore. And there might be good reasons to that, but the very fact of it is we can't turn up as much as we want to or as much as we did, and so we're just not feeling that connection. It's possible that we're not serving each other, that we've stepped out of that and never stepped back into it. It's possible that we only talk to the people that we want to talk to or the same group of people each Sunday, and so we're not feeling a, a depth and a width of connection. It's possible that our feelings of connection are dried up because we've stopped pursuing connection. So if we're here this morning and we're not feeling connected, what do we do in that? We pursue connection. Instead of distancing ourselves or giving up, instead of going, well, I'm not connected anymore, we have this opportunity to go deeper, to pursue the actions of love more. And I think if we can do this, if we can do what the author is saying, if we can encourage one another all the more in an ever-increasing way, if we can consider how we can spur one another on, I think what's going to happen is the feelings will come and the dry spells will be less frequent and constant. When it comes to this reality of church community, we can't just rely on our feelings, we must pursue connection as well. So number one, we're family. Number two, we need commitment. Number three, we pursue connection. Finally, we care for each other. The fourth thing we see, now you get this again, right? You, let us provoke, let us consider how we may encourage, spur one another on or provoke one another on to love and good words. Let, let us encourage one another. There's a sense of care here, isn't it? That we're meant to look out for each other. Now this one is the most obvious and the one I've got to talk about least. 
So uh, I'm going to get some people up to talk about this in a moment. But the thing to point out here is who, is who are the ones who have to care for each other? Who's the one that does the care? It's us, right? You, you see that. It's us. Let us do this. And what I love about this is there's this responsibility for all of us to care for each other. As we think about church, it, it's a radical change of our mindset to come to church and not just think, how are these people caring for me, but how can I care for these people? But if all of us had this attitude, we would be able to care for each other in a better way and a way that actually increases over time all the more as we see the day approaching. We need to care for each other. Now, uh, one of the ways we do this here at Southside is through our growth groups. And so I'm going to invite Dan and Sarah to come up and talk to us a little bit about how we do this. So can we give a round of applause for Dan and Sarah, please? Thank you for coming up, guys. Now, if you don't know, this is Dan in the maroon <laughs> and Sarah in the white. Now, and we're dressed in opposite colours to where we were born. Not planned. You what? <laughs> You're dressed in the opposite colours to where you were born. Maroons, blues. Sorry, oh. wrong time of year. Sorry. I like Origin, and I missed that. So, okay. So, we're talking about caring for each other here, but growth groups do all of this. So, let's. We're going to talk about what growth groups are, but let's first and foremost start with a question about your experience coming to church and hooking into a growth group. So what was that like for you guys? Um, yeah, so we came to Southside a little over six years ago now. Um, and we'd been in our previous church for over 10 years. We'd been involved in growth groups there from when we were like 18, so when we finished youth. Um, so we came to Southside, didn't really know anyone. Um, but I guess we knew from like experience that we wouldn't get to know everyone or if, unless we made an effort and got involved in the life of the church. And Southside was the place where we wanted to be part of the church family. So we joined a growth group probably within about a month of coming along, um, which was great just to get to know a group of people and be in each other's lives and homes and things like that. Yeah. Sure. Um, in the last four years or so, we started leading our own growth group. So when we, just before our oldest daughter Adelaide was born, we started hosting at our place. Um, and that group has been a great joy to us seeing... Um, yeah, basically, as Ben was saying, talking about how we see family and doing that, doing life together as a family in our growth group. So they've seen our kids grow up and share tea with our kids before growth group starts. Um, but we've also been able to share lots of other things as a growth group too. We've shared in engagements, in weddings, in the joy of new jobs, in the joy of pen, uh, impending grandchildren, in a lot of those good moments, we've been able to share those things together and encourage each other and give praise to God for those moments. We've also been able to share in some of those challenging times too, times where people have uh, had difficulties at work or with family or lost jobs or lost loved ones. And as a group, as a family, we've been able to encourage and support and pray for each other in those good moments as well as those challenging moments too. Yeah, awesome. That's so cool. Thanks for sharing that. Now, you guys do uh, a lot of work at Southside looking after our growth groups and uh, caring for our growth groups and all that sort of stuff. So I just want to say publicly, thank you. All right. Uh, can we thank Dan and Sarah for the work that they do? 
you are both an absolute gift to our church and you do volunteer that time. So we are very thankful for you guys. Um, but, but why is it that you put that time? Why would you volunteer your time to put into growth group? And feel free to answer what a growth group is. I mean, someone might be sitting here and, you know, we don't know exactly what growth group is. So talk about that. Yeah, sure. So at Southside, our growth groups have a couple of parts to them. They have parts about community where we get to uh, meet together um, beforehand, sometimes over a meal sometimes just socially, but we meet together, we make those connections. That's one thing we do. We also read the Bible together and think about what um, it's saying to us individually, to us as a group, and think about how we go about uh, living out lives following Jesus in response to what we read and see. And we also spend time praying for each other as well. So in our growth groups, those are the things we do. It's a good uh, representation of, yeah, of as we've been saying all morning about our family, um, in our house, we also watch a bit of a show called Kangaroo Beach. It's about surf life-saving. So in some, well, for kids, we don't watch it. The children watch it. But it's all about staying within the flags. And that's in some ways what our growth group's about. You're in a group, you're in a safe place with people who are around you, who some of them are looking after you. There are people on the, um, on the shore, lifeguards looking after you. It's a safe place to go and to enjoy um, time together um, and have people looking after you there too. So that's what our growth groups are about. Um, why we do it, um, it's passages like this one here we've just read, where meeting together and encouraging each other is, uh, is so important. Um, we all have, can have Bibles on our phones, we've got paper copies, we can pray on our own, and those are good things to do. Um, those things have just happened in the last four, five hundred years. Prior to that, it was all about meeting together and sharing together and encouraging each other because they didn't have those things with them. And so that's something we still need to do um, and exercise that care for each other as a family, as in praying for each other and encouraging each other. Um, it's good for me to, as I read God's word, not just know what I think in my own study time, but also hear from others. What do they see? What do they take from a passage that I might not have seen myself before? Um, it's also good for me to know that throughout the week, there are people who are praying for the challenging conversation I've got to have at work or they're praying for our family when I'm going away on a camp or they're doing things like that that are important things that we can do to encourage and support each other. So we want to see that happen not just in one group but in all of our 17 groups across Southside, seeing people belong and feel connected and encouraged um, as a part of a church family. Um, and so from us we help administer well, we help people get into growth groups we um, also encourage our growth group leaders so even on Thursday night our leadership team here we looked at our list of not only our growth group leaders but our kids church leaders our youth leaders we look at that think about the year pray for them and celebrate what God is doing among us and so our, our leaders uh, also check in with our growth group leaders to make sure they're going well and that's something yeah, where everyone's feeling as though that they've got a place to belong and contribute and yeah, make sure that they feel like they're a part of the family. Yeah, awesome. Now, you said you watched a TV show. That's not at Growth Group? <laughs> not usually. That? Not no. usually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good, no, good. not usually. But just to highlight that illustration, because we do talk about that here at Southside, that you know, joining a growth group is, is like swimming between the flags. Um, but it's interesting as you think about that imagery, because between the flags the very fact that you've got more people there, you know, like I don't think I've ever been swimming between the flags where the lifeguards had, you know, my experience of actually swimming where the lifeguards had to come out and rescue someone. 
But I have been between the flags where, you know, you've got family members around you that you've got to pull sa into safety or, you know, recently I was at, a, at the beach with my nephew and he kept trying to swim past the waves and so I just kept chucking him back. Like there's a, <laughs> there's a sense of like, it's not just the lifeguard's responsibility, we can all do that. And when you're swimming with more people, there's more chance of actually looking out for each other. So I like, I like that imagery as well of just swimming where more people are is better for you. Um, thanks for sharing that. So then as we think about it, this idea, you, I mean, you've, you've kind of told us why we should join a growth group almost through your experience and through the last year. But talk to us about a, a little bit more about that. Like, why should someone join a growth group? And yeah, what does that look like to actually take that step? Yeah, so I think... Um I think just naming it, we're not a small church. And as humans, we have limited capacity in the relationships we can have. Um, we all have relationships in our families, with our extended families, in our colleagues, and then also with our church. Um, and God willing, we're going to continue to grow as a church. People are going to hear about Jesus and want to be part of our family. And we're just not going to be able to keep knowing everyone and knowing exactly what's going on in their lives. So growth groups... Typically, eight to 12 people. So, smaller group where you can actually have meaningful relationships with people. Um, so, I think, yeah, why you should join a growth group, Dan touched on in terms of opening the Bible and knowing people, uh, knowing each other and knowing God better. But I think just knowing people in that deeper way um, and having accountability to each other and caring for each other. Um, I'm sure, like you touched on it, there's lots of stuff out there about post-COVID in society. We're all lonely. We're all seeking connection. Um, and that's true in the church as well, but we don't want that to be the case. Um, we want to feel connected. Um, I think ultimately because we have a hope of heaven and that's where we're going to be in relationship with God and relationship with each other for forever. So let's get a taste of that here and now where we can. Um, and that's hard. Mm. Like there are hard things being in relationship with one another. So it's not always going to be easy, but it's going to be worthwhile. Um and so I think whether you're like, if this is only your first or second week at Southside or if you've been here for a while, if this is your home, I guess my encouragement is to try a growth group, give it a go, get to know some people, read God's word with them. Um, yeah, we have 17 growth groups starting this year, um, which is really exciting. So I'm sure there is something, someone that meets near your house that works for your life stage that we'd love to try and connect you in with. Um, yeah, and just a good way to start the year. Yeah, awesome. Well, thank you guys for coming up and talking to us about that. If you want to talk to these guys at any point, they're very accessible and would love to talk to you about growth groups. So again, can we thank Dan and Sarah as they head up? So yeah, I think what Sarah said there, what they both said was awesome. And I think like our responsibility to pursue this is not just because Dan and Sarah like to say we've got 17 groups or, you know, it's not just about a, a number pulling out of the air to talk about, yeah, this is what we've done. It's because this is what God's Word says. God's Word encourages us and speaks to us about the importance of family and commitment and pursuing connection and caring for each other. So let's, let's do this. Let's push into this together so that we may help one another get through life's ups and downs and all the more as we see the day approaching. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are a God who has given us people. Lord, that you didn't save us by ourselves or ask us to do our lives and faith and the challenges that we have to face all by ourselves. You've given us a community. So help us, Lord, see that we are family 
Help us see the need for commitment. Help us pursue connection and help us care for each other. We ask for your grace and your help in this. In Jesus' name, amen.